Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Welcome or welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. It's Lindsay and Krista. It's a good day here. We're glad you're here. Thank you for choosing Almost 30. We know there's a lot of pods out there and I'm sure this episode in particular will hold some sweet medicine for you. We wanted to create these episodes that are mini collections based around very potent and pertinent topics to all of you out there. And one of those topics that you all wanted to talk about was reparenting. So we collected clips from some of the best episodes talking about reparenting. And this is that episode. Yeah, we have some really powerful people on this show, like Dr. Shafali, Nicole Pera, the holistic psychologist, Bethany Webster, who writes about the mother wound, and some really impactful components and pieces that we would never want you to forget about or overlook in some of the episodes that we've done over the years. We know that when you listen to these episodes, there's so much information that we can sometimes forget about it, or it maybe doesn't land at that time. But right now is the perfect time to talk about reparenting and the information we've shared in these episodes. And just get a refresher if you're someone that already does a lot of reparenting work, or maybe you're new to it. I love when we can approach these types of topics because it feels like this is a word that's so spoken about and talked about. And in the collective, people are like, reparent yourselves, like inner child, all this. But it's like, what does that actually mean? What does it actually feel like? How can we actually put into practice the act of reparenting ourselves and being the parent that we wish we would have had? It's interesting, the evolution of this reparenting work. I remember when I first understood what it was, and it was probably in my early years of therapy or even like first year of therapy. And there was so much like angst and resentment in the work where I'm like, I'm pissed I have to reparent myself. I'm directing a lot of my energy towards the other, like my mom or my dad. And it's been really nice, actually, to eventually come out of that energy and be able to literally see and experience my parents in a completely different way. Not that they've changed. Maybe they have a little bit, but really this work has helped me to be in a more energetically harmonious relationship with them where I'm no longer like pissed about the behaviors, beliefs, patterns, etc. that I picked up on, absorbed, was taught when I was growing up and I have so much more compassion for them. And I think like becoming a parent soon, I just have a lot of compassion <laughs> where I'm like, whoa, man, like you do the best with what you know. You truly do. Thankfully, we're living at a time when we're so resourced in this realm and have been in therapy and work on ourselves and all the things. But even then, 
does not guarantee that your child will be doing <laughs> some reparenting work and talking shit about you in therapy. So I'm glad I'm at a place now where I feel less charge around it. 100%. Yeah, especially with social media and how much people share about raising kids, about their kids, about the process online. I mean, kids are not going to have access to an archive of everything that you've said <laughs> over time and throughout your life. And now I think when we were growing up, when our parents would be like, yeah, I smoked weed once, we were like, oh my God, what? You know, we couldn't believe it. And now our kids are going to have so much access to information about us. It's going to be so embarrassing for mm -hmm. them to see what we've done over the years. And it's going to be a whole new generation of reparenting. But I really see reparenting. I don't even see it in relation to my parents. Like I don't even really think about them in the process of reparenting. It's just like me and my inner child, me and my inner teen, me and previous versions of myself, my future self is involved. And how can I really be more present for myself during that time? How can I really go back, whether it's through meditation or through therapy or EMDR or shadow work or whatever it is, and be that person that I really, really needed and be present with that version of me. I printed pictures of myself and I have pictures of myself now over my apartment of me when I was really little and me at various ages. And I can just send her love and healing, you know, whenever I go out through my day. And it's just really cute to be like, oh my gosh, that was me as like a little person. And it's even heartbreaking at moments because you're like, you guys neglected that, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like you, no one said this to that, you know, you said this to this, like, it's kind of mind blowing if we think about it. But it is a lot of the powerful work that is going to really set you up for greater success for deeper intimacy in your relationships, to feel worthy of good things to feel more connected to life to feel more in love with your life. And it's a real deep foundation for having an experience that you want being able to reparent yourself. So these three collections are fire. Everything that we talk about is so good. I'm really excited about this one. I think you're really going to love it. So in this episode, we hear from Bethany Webster, who has really made it her life's work to untangle the mother wound, how the mother wound affects the various parts of our lives, especially as women, understanding that there's an opportunity when you are triggered, whether it's by your mother or by a specific part of this wound. She also talks about subconscious reprogramming, really how we can do that tactically. Interestingly enough, taking on the mother's feelings during pregnancy, like how far this really goes. It's not just to a certain age. It could be before you are even earthside and how intergenerationally we can have pain passed down. So this is a really juicy clip. But we've had Bethany on to talk about the mother wound, and it truly opened up a whole conversation in our community, which was really, really powerful. I feel like it's still going on, but I feel like it sent shockwaves when we first had that conversation. Yeah, it's one of the deepest, one of the deepest. So you'll learn more about that, too, if it's something that's new to you. We also had Dr. Shafali on. Dr. Shafali is an incredible author. She's someone that's written about conscious parenting, beauty, radical self-love, radical trust, and she's a deep expert in the space. And so in this episode, we talk about becoming a conscious person and becoming a conscious parent. So what does it mean to be a conscious parent? How can you work with your kids in a conscious way? We also talked about having a sense of worth and joy that is self-sourced and not be dependent on your child. So a lot of parents, especially ones that are coming onto the scene and 
especially ones that are involved in making their kids in social media, can have their happiness dependent on their child and how we can keep our happiness and self-worth not dependent on our child is huge. We talk about the over-identification of a parent being a savior. Sometimes this can happen where the parent finds value and worth in being a savior. And then also parental discipline. She has the belief that parental discipline is toxic. So we explore that. Such a good one. And then finally, we have Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist. She has been on the show quite a few times. And in this clip, she is going to be talking about how to introduce boundaries to people in your life, your family, your friends. We'll talk about enmeshment and codependency, especially within the family unit. We talk about recognizing our own patterns within relationship, really taking responsibility for those and how we actually shift family dynamics. They can feel so immovable at times. And so how do we actually do that? And then just how do we allow ourselves to really feel the feelings? Like, is that okay? Can we just let her rip? How do we do that in a way that allows them to move and not take us under? So thank you to all of our guests. Enjoy this one, everyone. We're super excited to create these collections for you. Hopefully you'll love these deep dives. And if you have a topic that you want us to create a collection around, please let us know. You can DM us at almost 30 podcast on Instagram. We also have amazing clips popping off on TikTok. So follow us there too. And you can find our guests on this show at thehilisticpsychologist.com for Nicole LaPera, drshafali.com for Dr. Shafali, bethanywebster.com for Bethany Webster. All right, y'all enjoy this one and we'll see you on the other side. We'll see you soon. I am juggling quite a bit lately. <laughs> I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, if you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. <laughs> Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, uh, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, so let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, so I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L3 and 8. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste 
unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. Okay. Small daily actions. Oh, they just make a big difference. And I just cannot emphasize this enough. It creates this cascade effect and honestly a snowball effect. <laughs> so one begets the next really great positive small action, but it almost has like a bigger impact as the day, as the week goes on. Um, and I'm just someone who very much believes in this, whether you're like smiling at a stranger or maybe you wake up a little bit earlier to practice your meditation or maybe read part of the book that you're loving, uh, or maybe you integrate a healthy habit, like taking a probiotic, which is something that I've been doing for a few years now. I've been taking seeds DSO one daily symbiotic and I love it. And I've just noticed that this is the catalyst at the beginning of the day for a ton of healthy choices that I make. Um, and I've noticed a difference when I don't take it. Um, I forgot on vacation a few months ago and I noticed a difference. I was bloated. I wasn't as regular. I started to get a little breakout on my chin. Things were just going haywire. Um, so I'm just so thankful for seed. If you are someone who wants to support your gut or your skin digestion, your gut barrier integrity, oh, I recommend seed. Their DSO-1 daily symbiotic is incredible. What is different about Seed? So Seed's patented capsule and capsule design is so unique. It basically means that the fragile bacteria within the capsule can survive the journey. So from like shipping to your door to when you put it in your body all the way through your GI tract, um, all without synthetic or chemical coatings. Um, and this was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics in the microbiome. They are the best in the space. Um, so I just, I trust them and I've experienced incredible results. So trust your gut with Seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash almost and use the code 25almost to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash almost. The code is 25almost. One of the parts that I found really beautiful is I have notes all in my book, but in the conclusion, I feel like is a really just a good summation of the mother wound and the work. Healing the mother wound is the next frontier of feminism as it functions as the linchpin of our most insidious forms of self-limitation, the very subtle and invisible ways we hold ourselves back in order to secure love, safety, and belonging. These insidious self-limiting patterns have been passed down from mother to daughter for centuries. The time to stop the cycle is now. I can't even believe it because, you know, so much of what we're seeing, and I think a lot of our mother wounding has come up in Lindsay and I's relationships, you know, my fear of trusting women. And I think for Lindsay, hers shows up in other ways. And so when we're working on our female friendships, it's also such a mother wound mm. issue. So can you talk a little bit about how the mother wound really affects and impacts the various parts of women's lives and how that shows up. Yeah, absolutely. 
it's so exciting when we can see, like, I think the nugget is learning how each of us has a certain kind of blueprint for relationships that we got with our mothers, right? And it's a little different for everyone based on what those dynamics were like. So it's a little bit like being in, like having this curiosity, like making the link between what are my current issues now? Like what are the biggest challenges I have? And then doing a little reflection on how does that relate back to what I learned in my early environment? Making that link and getting the, into the habit of doing that has been one of the most exciting things that I do in my own personal growth and what I teach other women as well. Because when we can make that link, we can then kind of rework it. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. we have to become aware of what we went through back then, how it's showing up now. But this is counterintuitive for a lot of people. A lot of people, in our, and especially in our culture, they're like, I don't want to look back. I don't want to focus on the past. We're taught that to actually look back is to be stuck. Mm -hmm. But actually the opposite is true. And this is one of my missions in life is to help people realize that in order to heal, we need to be triggered, right? As my therapist has said, you know, we need to have a live wire to be rewired. Mm. We can't just heal in our heads. We actually have to feel it to heal it. So whenever we feel ourselves stuck, whether it's in our careers, our relationships, female friendships is a big one, like you said, and something feels like triggered, like, oh my gosh, this is so intense. I feel overwhelmed. There's, that's a sign that something from the past is getting triggered. And not only is it getting triggered, it's ready to be reworked, mm -hmm. right? It means it's, you're feeling it enough that it has the potential for change and to be shifted. So I like to tell people that triggers are opportunities. Triggers are kind of a reason to celebrate. Like you're ready to go to the next level. Mm -hmm. That's why this is coming up. The mother is about self, right? So it's one of those, the most unique, significant relationships of our lives because we were bonded with our mothers. We were actually one being when we came into the planet, mm. first days and weeks and months of our lives, we're literally merged with this person. We don't have the ability to see ourselves as separate, right? So we literally like absorb her feelings, the, even the inarticulated things, we feel them. So it's deep, right? It's deep into the fabric of how we see the world, how we see ourselves. So it's about self. And that's why I say it's like the linchpin, right? Because if we can get clarity on this, then the transformation starts to spread automatically as a result into all the different branches of our mm -hmm. lives. So common ways that it shows up are usually about, and I think I talk about this in the book, but these, the key thing is really safety, mm -hmm. right? Like for the child in us, and we all have like a child part that is that kind of stuck at a development level of whatever we didn't get met or needed, like our emotional needs. I call it the mother gap. Whatever that was, there's a part of us that's looking for that. And we're just built this way, right? It's not like there's anything wrong with having a mother gap. It's just the way humans are built. We project what we need, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of us for relationships, for example, will attract similar patterns with our romantic partners that we had with our mothers. And the reason we do this, I think, is to really repair. We have another chance to rework those early patterns. So feelings like not feeling worthy, not feeling safe. Like for many women, we weren't taught that we could be direct and articulate mm -hmm. about our feelings. So there might be this like learned pattern of manipulation to get what we need, pleasing behaviors, being too self-sufficient, controlling, 
And also things like addictions and addictions or food stuff also, because it's about nourishing the self. Mm -hmm. So, and they always relate to some kind of hunger, I think for being like all of us as women want to be whole. We want to be our full selves. We don't want to fragment and split the way that our families or the culture have taught us. So our hunger for self will always manifest in some way. And that's part of our deeper wisdom, wanting to kind of self-correct. For example, issues with food. Like for me, I struggled with food for a long time and I wanted some kind of nurturing that I couldn't find (laughs) in my environment, but food was always there. It was like always available in the way that I didn't even know how to meet my own emotional needs and be that kind of loving source for myself. So food was a way that I worked towards getting that awareness of what am I really wanting? What am I really needing right now? There was a hunger for something that wasn't in my life. So I think it's like, yeah, the self and what we experience, whatever's most painful is that link into, okay, what's the deeper thing? that's going on. And I experienced some frustration with this for a long time in the personal development world, because everyone for so long, I think we're going deeper now, but there was this like surface level, yeah, like manifest what you want or meditate more. But it's like the real work that helps us shift things at like a really deep level is we have to go back to look at this original blueprint because we just play out what we were conditioned to do. It's just, we can't help it. It's it's what we were raised inside of. It's what we learned, how to be safe in the world. Mm -hmm. Yes. But the great news is that we can rework that. Completely. Yeah, our good friend, Lacey Phillips, does manifestation work, but the basis of that is that subconscious reprogramming, especially around our experience as a child and with our parents. So it's just so powerful. And we've seen it in our own lives. I'm curious, like the connection, you know, you were describing the first however many months with your mother and really taking on whether it's like feelings during pregnancy, et cetera. And I really feel like that happened to me because I'm curious, like the different ways a mother wound can show up. So there is the gap of like a mother maybe not showing up and that's just a generalization. I'm sure there are variations on that. But then for me, there was kind of this enmeshment with my mother where I really felt everything she felt. And I felt like I was here to help her and heal her. And I felt, yeah, just kind of guilty. I would, you know, not fully express myself because I felt like it was too much. It might make things more complicated or heavy. So I'm just curious, like the different variations of how it can manifest. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big one. You know, feeling, witnessing our mother's pain and feeling like we have to heal, solve, fix things for her, especially if, if, you know, and it's part of the thing is mothers and the way motherhood is set up in our culture. It's like this impossible thing, right? Impossible standards and the way, you know, not enough support. Mm -hmm. So we watch our mothers struggle. So some mothers will do like put more weight on their children without even realizing it. And some moms just are more neglectful. It's not like they're putting weight on their kids. They're just literally checked out or not available for whatever reason. So it, for some people, it's not that parentification where the child is like the emotional parent. It's more like the mother's just not there. And so there's a whole other wound around that feeling 
like you don't exist, feeling like you don't matter, feeling like there's something wrong with you. Because when we're children, we can't make that cognitive distinction, right? It's like, if the person that I need to survive isn't paying attention to me or is dismissing me or humiliating me or withdrawing from me, there's got to be something wrong with me. Children will always blame themselves rather than blame the parent because it would be too devastating for our little minds to take in that the parent actually is unsafe. Then it would be just unbearable. So it Mm -hmm. makes it more bearable to the child to blame herself. Mm -hmm. So if I had to say, what is the basic manifestation of the mother wound, no matter how it shows up, whether it's neglect or invasion, or it usually comes down to some kind of abandonment and some kind of feeling like I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. It's some version usually of that. If I had to boil it down, Mm -hmm. it's just like feeling like I can't be my true self. I'm bad. And a lot of us have this in the background of our Mm -hmm. consciousness, even though we might like in my example, I was a complete overachiever and put together. And, but inside there's always this nagging feeling like there's something wrong with me. I think like there's something Mm -hmm. horrible about me. I had no reason for it, but it's just this awful kind of collapsed grief and pain that I couldn't explain. But the deeper I went, I got to see kind of more of the root. This is really where it came from. It's not really about me. Mm -hmm. It's really just this pain that has gotten passed down. And I'm just, it's just my portion of it. Oh, y'all, I am wearing my shorts and my skirts and my dresses and my legs are out and I'm just so excited about it because I have my Osea Andaria Algae Body Oil and it is keeping me glowing. (laughs) It's making my legs and my arms look just so fresh, so alive, to be honest, and so young. Um, I love this product. It is from Osea Malibu. They just know what they're doing over there. They've been doing it for over 28 years. Skincare is their jam. It's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and is clinically proven, okay? It's infused with seaweed, which is the star of the show here, and I just love the products. They really work. So the body oil is so rich, but it's never greasy, Okay, and it's clinically proven to improve skin elasticity immediately. It's visibly firming your skin and makes the skin feel more sculpted and toned, which we love. It's so amazing. Overnight, you can do this during the day or overnight. I do it overnight, but I love the Andaria Algae Body Butter because I would just wake up so insanely moisturized. It's indulgent and it's really great for crepey skin. I'll put it on my knees and my elbows and anywhere that's like kind of dry. It's clinically proven to hydrate for 72 hours. It just transforms the skin. You're going to be obsessed. And then finally, the anti aging body balm. Yo. I mean, hello, silky lotion serum. It just melts into my skin. I feel like it lifts and tightens and tones all over. I'm obsessed. Perfect for summer, baby. So glow from the inside out with clean vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code A30POD at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order. They're so good about that. And free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code A30POD, A30POD for 10% off. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. 
I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just, I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. I would love to just talk about how we can begin to just compassionately start to do the work around that intergenerational patterning from our parents. Yeah, I think 2020 was pattern disrupt in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And anytime we're out of our familiar, many things happen. The familiar is what we gravitate to evolutionarily as humans. So for some of us, even not going to that same job, using that same route at work or whatever it is can be challenging. And then mm -hmm. of course, it's complicated even more by those of us who have actually experienced losses, maybe of people, maybe of finances. Now we're going to be activated in terms of, for some of us, maybe new traumas, for others, older traumas. Then who are we at home with? How much time are we having? Do we have the time to go introspectively? Then like you're saying, Lindsay, to look and to see these patterns. Are we just having more time to witness ourselves? And with that, with healing in general, can come a lot of challenge, a lot of discomfort. We do, many of us, at least begin to feel some kind of way when we see, oh, right, I am like this because mom and dad or whomever had those limitations or I had these experiences with them. So to that, I say a couple things. Allowing whatever feelings to come up is part of the journey. Allowing yourself to feel the hurt, the disappointment, the anger, whatever it might be, the grief, the loss that could go on to infinity, whatever you're feeling, allowing that to be true for you. Because a lot of us prevent ourselves from healing or prevent ourselves from releasing our emotions and actually moving on because we don't actually 
feel them. We don't experience them. We don't express them. So that's really an important part of it to do so, however, non-judgmentally of the self, right? A lot of us judge ourselves. We feel like we shouldn't feel sad. We might feel like Mm -hmm. other people have had it worse. So Mm -hmm. who am I to be upset about this not very big thing that happened to me? So allowing our feelings to be without judgment, this also can extend then to judging the other participants, the family members that you know were part of your experiences. This doesn't mean that you have to enter in the same type of relationship with them. However, if you can pull back, again, see them as humans that were limited by their own past experiences, that can allow us to expand, as I say, and to hold baby empathy and compassion. You can understand why they had the limitations that have caused you pain and you still may choose a word that I think many of us love to hate, boundaries, or you may choose to put up dynamics or new shift your dynamics in those relationships. Obviously, that's a process. Everything I just described, it doesn't happen overnight. I think, though, that that allows us to release our own feelings safely. And then, like I said, for those of us that need to shift and change relational dynamics, possibly with family members, to begin that journey. The boundaries thing, it's so funny because it's so popular right now. I feel like so many people talk about boundaries and it's just like a very hot button topic. And I really loved the post that you did recently that was boundaries versus demands. And I felt like that was really helpful for me when navigating the online space, especially because I felt like a lot of the rhetoric and the demands seems like it was rhetoric used by online accounts and people that were making demands of others, maybe that they know or don't know. And it's interesting in my life, the way that I've sort of moved into my boundaries. It's like, it starts with the mom, and then it goes to relationships, and then it moves to social media as social media has progressed. For people that are brand new to boundaries, I guess, what is like the general awareness? Or how do you help them realize what boundaries are? Because I feel like for me, it's like a very energetic awareness of it. So how do you introduce people to boundaries? Well, I introduce people to boundaries by defining them as limits, first and foremost, which I think for many of us who don't have boundaries, like myself, (laughs) can be very elusive. What do you mean a limit? I don't know where the separation is between me and you. I just feel blended together. Like I described myself earlier, I was blended together because my needs really did fluctuate based on those around me. So there wasn't that, right, that that separation. So really talking about with your parents. And then that, that I've repeated that wow. into, as we do, most of us do learn the model for relationship based on our primary caregivers, whomever that might be. So I was raised in a two-parent home. So for me, my primary relationships with either of those parents became the blueprint. I think listeners out there, if you look around, we do tend to see ourselves being very patterned in relationship. We're always the helper. We're always the caretaker to some degree. And again, that originates with, within our model of relationship. So as someone who'd never had parents that modeled boundaries or that separation. My whole family, right, was an enmeshed unit. I talk about group think. Lepers think this, we do this, we don't do that. That's an example of that lack of separation. Really, there was five people in my family, five, assumably, individual (laughs) people, yet we were grouping ourselves Mm -hmm. together as this unit who all had the same thoughts at the same time, who all had the same needs at the same time and got them met in the same ways. And that's just not true. As similar as we might be to people in our life, our loved ones, our family members, even, we're still unique individuals. So 
having the safety and the space to create that separation allows us to embody ourselves authentically, present ourselves within our relationships, and allow others to do the same. So the way we can create that space that many of us lack is through boundaries, is through putting up those separations. And I did that post, Krista, because I've come to see whether demand, ultimatum, a lot of times we are misconceptualizing and misusing this idea of boundaries based on a, a faulty premise, faulty logic, one that is really uncomfortable in so much we can't change other people. And when we have the idea by putting an ultimatum, by pointing a finger, we are operating under the belief, as far as I see it, that we can. That if I were to make something uncomfortable enough, right, for someone else, the risk of losing me, perhaps, you'll change. That's just simply not true. I think all the listeners can attest, those of us who have attempted to change, change is hard as hell. Change means I have to make new choices day in and day out. So unless that comes from somewhat within, I'm not going to be able to maintain that. So when I talk about boundaries, they're really an action for me to create that safety and that space so that I change. And then obviously an indirect often consequence of my changing is the relationship changes, is by proxy, the person changes in a more indirect manner, but it's not in that very directional way that many of us attempt. Because it seems like control. Yeah. And we as humans love, love the control. control. We hate the idea of uncertainty. We <laughs> That's can't why I think 2020 it. was so hard for so many people because we, myself included, think that we have control of our lives. And yeah, I've just realized I'm like, dude, I have no control over anything. I have no control over as much as I want to in my mind mentally think that I'm creating my reality, which I very much do. I know also that I really have no control. I'm curious when you started to make boundaries or set boundaries with your immediate family, just relating to this. And my experience <laughs> is feeling like mm -hmm. I'm, it's almost like a separation from almost like being separated from mom and dad. And like, does this mean like there's the great divide now that I have a boundary because there is that enmeshment and codependency in a lot of ways. So I'm just curious about your experience in that particular dynamic. And then part B to that question is, you know, when I've created boundaries with friends, for example, I find myself trying to manage their experience of the boundary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> because it's usually activating a part of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, oh, should I tell them that like mm -hmm. they were abandoned when they were a child and yes. that's why they're reacting yes. to my boundary? So I would love to kind of like pick that apart because yeah. it's in real time happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Lindsay. And I actually love that you used that word separation. Not to put words in your mm -hmm. mouth, when I hear that, I and the word language that my brain would use is I could equally throw in loss. Yeah. Because we are, we're mourning. When we are changing, mm -hmm. we're mourning aspects of ourselves. We're mourning our old way of being. We're mourning, to put this in the context of relationships, possibly with our family, we're mourning that particular dynamic that once was that on some level we know will no longer be. So that wall, that separation is, I think, a function of loss that's mm -hmm. real, that is yeah. part of changing, that for many of us is uncomfortable enough that it keeps us reverting right back into those familiar patterns. So for me, if I'm honest, I didn't actually begin boundary work with my family at all, because I knew that that would be the most difficult space for me to begin to create those separations and to show up in a new way and more and all of that, I knew that would shift and change as a result. So I started 
on the periphery. I started with relationships that felt a little less threatening if I were to lose them or imagine losing some aspect of them. So for me, I started in my professional world. As far as I saw it or experienced it, a stranger on the internet, while still very uncomfortable to say no to or to be unavailable to, felt a little safer than my romantic partner or than my family. So I offer that as a suggestion for anyone out there who has no boundaries and wants to begin to create them because they're hard as hell and a lot comes up for us and the other person. So when I finally worked my way in, developed confidence enough and finally began to implement boundaries within my family, I was met with all types of reactions, one of which was the confirmation of exactly what I suspected. I was told I was selfish. I was told that family doesn't do this to Mm -hmm. family right? So that for me was my worst fear. And it was confirmed. I had that yelled back at me on one occasion, even by my sister. And for me, that was a really, really difficult space. Mm. And with it, like I said, came a lot of loss, a lot of mourning. However, on the other side of it now, years later, not overnight, what I'm experiencing now within my family unit is a new relationship. It feels different. It brings up discomfort still. However, in my opinion, and in my experience, it's going to be a much more sustainable one than once was. So this is why I speak to the discomfort, the immediate discomfort of boundaries, which will be there, especially when they're new. If we can walk through that discomfort, knowing that on the other side is something that's just so much more sustainable. Okay, this app has been with me through seasons of wanting to prevent pregnancy and also get pregnant. The app is Natural Cycles. It is a leading women's health company that they created the world's first FDA-cleared birth control app. So the app's algorithm uses hormone-driven changes in body temperature to let users know when they're fertile and not fertile. It is so easy, y'all. Every single morning I wake up, I have the uh, thermometer on my bedside table, and then I take my temperature, I input the temperature into the app, and boom, there you go. Um, It is 93% effective with typical use and 98% effective with perfect use. It's pretty incredible. Um, I know a lot of people are just thinking about their birth control. Uh, A lot of people are going off hormonal birth control. This is an incredible incredible, incredible option for you. I've been using it for a couple years now. Um, and again, it is so easy. So the algorithm uses the body temperature to determine where a user is at in their cycle. The more they measure, the more data it will have. Um, and if you have an aura ring, by the way, it syncs with your aura ring and it'll take your temperature automatically. Pretty cool. You can trust Natural Cycles for the past 10 years. They have been setting the precedent for non-hormonal and non-invasive birth control without sacrificing effectiveness. They were the first to introduce a birth control app, the first to receive FDA clearance as a birth control app, and the first birth control app to integrate with that wearable device, the Aura Ring. They're the best. I'm excited for you all. Listen, as our listener, you are going to get a discount plus a free thermometer, baby. Use code almost 30 at naturalcycles.com to get 15% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer. That's naturalcycles.com. You're going to use the code almost 30 to get 15% off an annual membership and a free thermometer. A lot of what you talk about, and even the example you gave in the beginning of the book of you and your daughter's day at the park, 
really speaks to the amount of embodiment or the amount of our own conscious awareness we have of our feelings and emotions and being able to self-source a lot of our energy or a lot of our validation and being a conscious person ourselves. So for people listening, what would you say to them about their journey for becoming conscious themselves and becoming aware of their own patterns and processes as they become parents, because that will be the foundation of how the relationship with their child is born. Yeah, beautifully said. You said it. The more we self-source, the more we look inward, the more we heal ourselves and become whole. And what that really means is how much have we accepted ourselves with our limitations? This is not about being pristine and not having limitations. This is about being whole with limitations. The more we do that, the more we will enter all intimate relationships with this energy of, okay, you are not completing me. I don't need to use you and this relationship to feel better about myself. I stand on my own worth, in my own purpose, with a clear mission for who I want to be. And you and I are interdependent for sure, but I'm definitely not sucking on you to get my needs met. Now that parent is a healthy parent and the child of that parent will grow up knowing that I can fuck up, but I'm not going to destroy my mom because I'm messing up. She's okay. She'll always stand by me and give me guidance, but her sense of self or worth is not dependent on my fuck ups or not. So what freedom then that child has to be in a bad mood or to be going through their own pain without feeling like, oh my goodness, my mom won't be able to handle it. And so many of us grew up with that burden. Oh, I better not tell my dad that. He's going to be so angry or he'll be so disappointed in me. So we cut ourselves off from our parents because we didn't want to have them face pain. We shouldn't have to impose that on our children. Children don't have to be burdened by that. We need to be okay within ourselves no matter what our children are going through. So there's this adage, you're only as happy as your least happy child is rubbish. You shouldn't be as happy as your least happy child. How is that going to be helpful? Sure, it's painful to watch your child go through something painful, just like a kindred friend would find that painful, but not more than that. Our sense of worth and joy needs to be self-sourced, self-garnered, self-initiated. And that's a healthy parent. And that feeling not whole and finding a wholeness in your child's accomplishments or just like how you are as a parent, you know, that over-identification with being a parent and also, as you say, being like a savior. I guess like where, so just so we can understand like kind of the the tracking of that and better understand our parents, does that come from their childhood? Is this something that was kind of, they were indoctrinated into in society? I guess, where does that come from, that over-identification with being a parent and a savior? Two pathways for that to be so solidly ingrained. One is we were raised with ultimate superiority in our parents. Our parents thought they were the ultimate know-how. They had that energy about them and they controlled us and we had to fall into line or else. So now we carry that as the model, right? So one is through direct experience, observing it in our parents, thinking that that's the way to be a parent. And then culture definitely clearly tells us, that's the second stream, that no, as a parent, this is your identity. You get to manage the situation. Your child's moods, feelings, interests, hobbies are yours to control and produce. You get to curate this masterpiece. So go ahead. And then when your child doesn't do what you say, culture has told us there's this thing called parental discipline. 
parental discipline is a glorified, legit institution. It's so toxic that we parents have given ourselves the freedom to unsupervised, unrestricted, unmitigated access to our children's body parts and where you can shame them, yell at them, curse them, abuse them, and spank them, slap them, and do what we want with their body. And it's glorified as a legitimized way of parenting. In fact, it's the thing you should do. And I can tell you, I raised my daughter without punishment. Yes, I did lose my shit on her. And for that, I have atoned and redeemed <laughs> many times over, but because I had to awaken. But that's about it. I mean, I, I wouldn't dare touch her body. But yet, so many of us were raised thinking that that's holy. Like it's in the Bible, apparently, some version of something, you know. But some verse that says, spare the rod and spoil the child. You know, actually, it, I look at it as, yeah, spare the rod and spoil the child. Go mm -hmm. ahead and spoil the child. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and, and take care of the child so much. But of course, people read it the other way. Like, if you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child. You know, so we think it's our, quote unquote, God-given right to, to use the rod on our children. And that means all sorts of control, manipulation, abuse. It's okay. And I call that bad parenting, lazy parenting, toxic parenting. Under no means do it at all parenting, you know? Yeah, there's this kind of belief at times that if you're loving your child in a secured attachment way that you're spoiling them. It's kind of sad in our culture that sometimes we see people or people see people that are deeply connected and committed to their children and it's seen as something that's bad. It's seen as something that they're going to spoil them or, you know, it's going to be detrimental to them. But the conversation around body, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that specific point makes me think about consent as a topic. But the topic that I wanted to talk to you about as it relates to body, because our audience is mostly women and we've had a lot of conversations around body and body neutrality and body acceptance or whatever it is, a lot of the ideas that I had around body and sexuality and how I needed to look came from my mother. I had to be a certain size. I had to look a certain way. I had to be all these things. What is what you've seen in your process of all your work been around with the way that mothers kind of are with their girls around how they should look and their bodies? And what are some things we could do to sort of unlearn those things or not pass along our patriarchal view of our bodies to our children? 100% it comes from moms, but it could come from dads. So let's not just blame moms, mm -hmm. but it's cultural, right? So the mom is a prey to body and beauty standards from culture, as we all know. But yeah, it starts in the most small things, right? If your child did not finish all the pasta on the plate, that's because she's honoring her body. Don't tell her, oh, just two more bites, eat it. You're telling her in that moment then to override her body. So how will she know what she wants if we keep overriding our children? So giving choice is so important in my work. Even for the two-year-old, oh, do you want the yellow socks or the pink socks, right? Within their jurisdiction, we give choices. When they're seven, we ask them, do you want scrambled egg or fried egg? Do you want to watch this movie or that movie? You want to eat Chinese or Italian? This is not about indulging children, but it's about teaching them. They have integrity. They have wisdom. They have knowledge. They have knowing. And they have the right to manifest it and that they will be heard. They do have a space at the table and they will be heard at the table. How will we teach our young women especially if they were never trained as daughters to have a voice to know what it is they want? 
So when I tell parents to give children choice, they go, oh, I have no time to give people choice. Just immediate reactivity against me and what I teach. But I then tell them, well, don't you want to raise a leader who knows themselves? How will they have practiced knowing themselves if you know everything for them? Can you please not give your opinion so much? Can you please not direct them, even though you know the best way? Because the more you insert yourself, the more you're robbing them of their power to know themselves. So of course you do it in developmentally appropriate ways, but your mission as a conscious parent is always to turn the baton of empowerment back into your children's hands, wherever possible. Hold back your opinion. Teach them to think for themselves, to find their voice. Even if they make mistakes, give them the practice to say no, no. And why? Why are you saying no? Good. Make a case, right? I talk about in this book, The Parenting Map, teaching your children to negotiate. Don't just teach them to comply. Then you're raising a daughter who has no voice in her dysfunctional relationship later on. Teach them to negotiate because they need to know they have the skills to create a case, of course, developmentally appropriately. But after the age of 12 or 13, they need to come to you with proposals. Okay, mom, I have a proposal. I want to buy a Bentley. Okay, let them have the audacity to say that. And then for you to go, oh, really? That's, I want one too. Let's create a plan to make that happen in the next 26 years. Right? <laughs> but don't just say, no, you're stupid, right? Teach them that, okay, you want to have 15 children over. I want to have two. Let's have a negotiation to let you win because you are a member of this house and you're important. And let me win because I'm important too. And let's negotiate, right? Let's create win-win situations. But parents don't like that because it takes a lot of work and effort and quote-unquote relinquishing control, which is our greatest fear, right? We don't want to relinquish control. And we need to get over ourselves because the only way to raise sons and daughters who respect themselves and others is to give them that respect and to teach them that they are valuable and worthy because children who grow up feeling valuable and worthy will not maraud the value and worth of others. And body, integrity around body. I've had enough food, mommy. Okay, good. You've checked in. Your body says you've had enough. I will put this in a box and you can eat it later. Immediately you honor it. You don't say, well, you're wasting the food and please eat my food. And if you cared about me, you'd eat my food. Same with mommy. I don't want to hug my grandparents. Okay, you just can say hello. You can just say hello. Just be polite. That's all I need from you. You don't need to hug anybody. If they say, I don't want to wear the coat outside. Okay. Mommy will carry the coat. And then if you feel cold, you wear it later. They will then say, damn, it's cold, mom. Give me my coat. Stop trying to impose your ways through blind reactivity and fear. Because actually you're robbing your children of their integrity, of their own inner knowing. Yeah, I love that negotiation piece. Thank you so much to all of the guests on Almost 30. In the show notes, you can find the original episodes for those, or you can just take their name and search Almost 30 to find the full extended version of those conversations. And it really means a lot when you share this with a friend. That's how we've grown the show. It's so nice to receive a podcast or book recommendation or meme or quote from someone that you love. So it's a really powerful thing to share something like this, especially for someone that might need it. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about Almost 30, go to almost30.com. We have our membership, which is a place where you can come to connect with other like-hearted people who are just 
really excited and down to grow, be on their path where they are. You will be fully resourced in there. We have workshops and live hangs. We have all of our camp recordings. It's just a really beautiful place and anchor really within your journey. So almost30.com slash membership is where you can find that. Otherwise, we will see you on the next episode of Almost 30. We love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.